Next passage of Scripture comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31a. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members yet, one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this, but God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You know, so often I think when we approach that text, we do so because it's a part of trying to discern spirit gifts. And of course, Paul loves uh, to talk about those Gifts of the Holy Spirit, those gifts that have been given to each of us, and, and in his words, according to the, to the will of God. Uh, but one of the things I think we overlook when we read that text, and one of the things that I think is so important for us uh, today, is to consider the unity uh, that God uh, has put on Paul's heart. And Paul, in turn, uh, is, is speaking not only to the church at Corinth, but to Christians for 2,000 years and even today and into the future about how important this body of believers is to be unified instead of pulled apart, to be one uh, with Christ as the head, to be one as the church instead of individual members thinking that 
uh, our individuality or our uh, way is any better than the others. So I want us to consider uh, this uh, passage of Scripture today. This is in one of what uh, uh, some of the theologians call an undisputed letter of Paul. In other words, uh, this letter, 1 Corinthians, that we have given it, uh, not we, not me, not you, but uh, those that have gone ahead of us uh, some uh, 15, 16, 1700 years ago as titles were being given to, uh, to texts and as chapters and verses were being assigned, uh, part of the canonization process of our Bible. Uh, this letter was called 1 Corinthians, and virtually everybody says this is the Apostle Paul, no doubt. So we call that an undisputed letter because there is this widespread agreement. Now, in this case, some of the background uh, prior to this letter being written back to the church at Corinth, in other words, Paul wrote this letter as a response to something that was going on in the church there at Corinth. Uh, but before Paul wrote this letter, Paul lived about a year and a half with the people there in Corinth. Uh, he founded this church. He established, he nurtured, he was a part of the relationships uh, between not only uh, Paul and one another, but between each other. So the members of this church have this uh, time with Paul that lasted about a year and a half. And while Paul was there, uh, some of his friends and other Christian leaders of the early church, uh, Aquila, Priscilla, they were there. Uh, there's some evidence that together these three applied their uh, everyday trade of tent making, uh, so it took a burden off of the church. They did not need to financially support Paul or Priscilla and Aquila. They simply were able to, uh, to continue making tents and earn a living. But it is clear that Paul deepened the relationships and intended for these relationships to be long-lasting, not just with one another, but with him as this kind of founding pastor, if you will, uh, of the churches. Now, he's not the only founding pastor, but he was one of the early ones and certainly uh, had a part in, in envisioning this great future that they had for them. But here's one of the challenges that they faced being in Corinth. Corinth is on an isthmus in Greece. It's only about 35 miles wide. And, and, and Corinth itself was a very cosmopolitan city. They say it probably had about 225,000 uh, as a population in the first century, making it a, a huge city of the day. Uh, when I think about its cosmopolitan goings-on there, I'm thinking of, of towns, and well, not towns, but cities, uh, Paris, London, Hong Kong, New York City, a place where there is probably every culture represented under the sun, every ethnicity, uh, every kind of socioeconomic level, and yet, because of it being on a narrow isthmus, uh, it was accessible by sea trade because of its narrow width. There is evidence that many ocean-going kinds of boats were actually uh, put on logs and could be rolled across this narrow isthmus uh, more efficiently and certainly safer than trying to get around uh, sailing the islands and being out on the open ocean where there are uh, some susceptibility to storms and winds. So uh, this was a very prosperous community. Uh, and yet, every again, every socioeconomic, you know, sometimes wealth attracts other wealthy people. Uh, you think about the banking industry and how that attracts more money, uh, financial centers, how that attracts more, but also those that are uh, impoverished and down on their luck uh, also are attracted to those kinds of centers of influence and wealth and power. 
So Paul helps to establish these, this church here. And one of the things that seems to be quite obvious is in Corinth, uh, it seems to be very popular that the church itself has home churches. Uh, so there are a number of these smaller cells where the faithful get together and work much like John Wesley when he, when he built small groups, uh, the, the classes, the bands, the society, still part of a bigger group, uh, but where individual lives can be touched and nurtured with smaller, fewer people. So these home churches uh, were very popular in Corinth. And maybe that speaks to the diversity here in that community. But Paul is trying to work them together uh, to be a, 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 not just a force to be reckoned with, but a presence, the presence of God in this very uh, heaven, hev heavily populated pagan city, the power and presence of the Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul has this, and he knows that they need to be nurtured or they could fall prey to the greater uh, population of pagan or Gentile citizens. So Paul works these house churches while he's there, but Paul ultimately is called away, uh, and he hears back that these, uh, these followers, these people that he had grown to love, this, this group of, of loving Christians were, were, were becoming divided. There were varying issues that were pulling them apart. And you can imagine as you get off in smaller groups, uh, smaller groups uh, oftentimes have some sort of an affinity that attracts them. And it seems that there were some of these small groups that that affinity was actually pulling them away. There's other evidence that there were some uh, improper leadership taking over some of those small groups and, and even when they would get together as a whole. Uh, so there was a number of issues uh, that, that began to divide them. And so Paul, as he writes back to them, is stressing to them this, this metaphor of the body. And that would have been a metaphor that it was easy for them to understand. They're, they're in Greece. Uh, you know, there's the Greece philosophical thinking. Uh, they've been conquered by Rome. So there's the Roman presence. And both the Grecian and, and Roman cultures use the body as a metaphor. And so these citizens of Corinth, that would have been an easy metaphor for them to understand this body with many uh, parts, many members making up the one body. And so Paul draws upon that metaphor to bring them together. Now, have you ever felt at odds with a group? Some of us can say, happened in my family. But oftentimes it can happen in the workplace, it can happen in our communities, it can happen in our, our counties, our regions, it happens in the world. It seems like there's a lot of people who, who are more divisive than desiring to be unified. And so Paul reminds uh, these people of these home churches in Corinth about the one God the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one whom He built these churches on, or this church, the one who He is inviting them to, to let be the head of this body that has this great diversity. And so Paul is not telling the people, you need to give up who you are. He's telling the church, you need to embrace their individuality, but it's not as important to be individuals as it is important to be unified. Unified under the Lordship of the author of life, the lordship. In other words, allowing Jesus to be the head. And you can still retain your individuality. As a matter of fact, he speaks about that and the power of that diversity so that we can count on one another's varying gifts and skills and I think viewpoints 
And, and those things that make us stronger and more powerful to this world that is constantly being uh, divided by the powers of the world. About 150 years ago, uh, a British citizen, David Livingston, who by, Dr. David Livingston, who's by the way a Presbyterian pastor, uh, read of the work uh, of a man who had some his experience in Africa. Robert Moffat talked about when he, when he was in Africa on a hillside, how he could stand and see the campfires of 10,000 African villages just in that scope of his vision where he stood. And he talked about how many of those villagers in those villages had never experienced Jesus Christ. And so this man of God, uh, David Livingston, said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to uh, do what I can do to bring Jesus Christ to these people. And what Dr. David Livingston uh, discovered, as you might imagine, uh, is, are the perils of, of Africa. And we're talking about 150 years ago. Uh, and certainly today, Africa is not a, a, uh, a place where there are no wild beasts uh, no old tribal ways that still uh, uh, infiltrate daily living. But Dr. Livingston, uh, as he made his way uh, along the Zambezi River, uh, trying to bring and introduce people to Jesus Christ, he was not free from the perils of that region, often being uh, attacked by uh, opposing tribes, uh, sometimes by animals, certainly by robbers. Uh, and, and, and even at times, his own uh, carriers, those who were carrying his bags, would abandon him and just leave him there. And so Dr. Livingston uh, talked about oftentimes just going on, carrying his Bible, going on to, to the next life that he might change by introducing uh, them to Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so I think Dr. Livingston and, of course, Henry Stanley, who would later come along and, and discover uh, Dr. Livingston, and that famous word, Dr. Livingston, I presume, uh, uh, was touched by this man's profound uh, commitment to helping people. Uh, I think the Apostle Paul uh, was so committed to helping people that even after he left Corinth, he communicated with them out of that deep love of God and that deep love he had for them to remind them of whose they really were. And so Paul reminds us that yes, our individuality is important, but our unity is more important as we live together with Jesus as the head of the body. The old uh, uh, founder of Methodism, John Wesley, back in the 1700s, uh, I didn't know this until I did some, some research on him, that he was uh, known as a sharp dresser. Uh, so even though he didn't have a lot of money to his name, he prided himself on his appearance, uh, especially when he was being invited into the parish churches to preach. And one day, uh, the story goes that, uh, that after he had preached, uh, that day he was wearing uh, part of his uh, regalia. He had had some long ribbons uh, attached uh, to his, uh, his uh, vestments. And a woman came up to him and, and said, uh, Brother Wesley, are you open to criticism? <clears throat> and he thought for a moment. He goes, well, I suppose I am. And she said, those ribbons that are hanging around uh, from your bow tie are not fitting a man of God, and she pulled out a pair of scissors and chopped off his, his ribbons that he had obviously dressed himself in there on his uh, regalia. And the crowd that was watching and listening grew silent. And they said, Wesley looked at the woman and he said, Ma'am, are you open to criticism? 
and caught off guard, she thought, and she says, well, I suppose so. And he said, stick out your tongue and give me your scissors. (laughs) Well, he did not cut her tongue off. But we have people who come into our midst who find reasons to to not want to allow difference to be present, to to push back, to detract from what the Apostle Paul is talking about being unified. Letting people be diverse in their ways, in their understandings, and yet keeping Jesus, again, the author of life, as the one at the forefront. To follow Him and to let life uh, be, be seen through the lens of the love Jesus Christ brings into the world. You know, I think there in that home church, and in, in those home churches in Corinth, being such a cosmopolitan area, can you imagine the people who would have made up those home churches? Had to have been some veterans, some military people, maybe even some, some former Roman soldiers, but certainly some Greek uh, militia folks. Uh, probably, probably people who had gone into a, a, some sort of occultic life at one point. Maybe even worshipped in a cult, because we know Corinth was so pagan and so many gods and goddesses, idols present there. Perhaps there was even someone who had uh, uh, eaten improperly, not followed food laws, not been as pure as their faith prior to becoming a Christian had told them they needed to be in order to be a part of that faith tradition. You know, I can't help but imagine that those home churches were reflective of the culture that they were in. That people from all walks of life, culturally, ethnically, socioeconomic, made up those home churches. And so Paul knew the value of bringing them together and letting their diversity be a part of what makes them a powerful church. The powerful presence, the arms, feet, heart of Christ at work in Corinth, making a difference when the world rages on and doesn't understand around us. You know, Paul says that even those who we think are inferior or less important, we give special honor to. And yet, anytime someone's opinion is different from ours, whether it be politically or theologically, we want them to be wrong and we want to be right. And all of a sudden, that issue of being different begins to push back. And it's sad when we push back on one another Instead of when we come together, when we can be unified as a church, when we can be the presence, the love of Christ in this world, this world who needs to have witnesses to Christ's love so that the world can be changed. Dwight Moody is a a modern theologian. One time while he was visiting England, he heard a revivalist uh, named Henry Varley, and he remembered Henry Varley sharing these words in one of his Uh, revivals. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated by the Holy Spirit. That's what that revivalist preached once when Moody was present. Dwight Moody put his understanding on that. And he said, you know, he didn't say a great man He didn't say a rich man had never been holy or fully consecrated. He didn't say it was a learned man. He simply said it was a man. And ladies, forgive me. This is not inclusive language. It speaks to the the day. But we can thank men and women. 
Moody said it, it, it's in every one of us. So you don't have to be special. You can just be one of us. But it's what already lies within us. It's already what lies within us and our decision to try our utmost to be that person. I think that's what Paul was talking about as he named those spirit gifts. We, we have gifts that God has given us. And we may not ever understand why God gave us the, the gift of, of hospitality or, or knowledge or teaching or apostleship or healing or any of the other spirit gifts. But it lies within us. And if, as Dwight Moody says, if we can do our utmost to be that person, then I think we walk faithfully. But when we call upon things of the world to set us apart then I think we're walking the other direction. So it's important for us to be a part of the body. To say, I don't have to be a hand if I'm a foot. But it's also important for us to say, I need eyes as well as I need ears. And I need feet as well as I need hands. And we certainly need hearts. But we've got to have that head, Jesus who is the Christ. We've got to follow where He takes us. Not where the politicians take us, but where Jesus invites us to go. And if we do our utmost to try and follow Him, then I think we walk faithfully and we are being unified in that one body. Regardless of what, what title we hold, whether we're Baptist, Episcopalian, non-denominational, Methodist, Catholic, if we can be a part of that one body with Jesus as the head, then I think we are unified in that one spirit. And thanks be to God that we have times and opportunities to, to remind ourselves. This morning as we come to the table, it's another reminder that this is Christ's table. Not my table, not your table. Our table. With Jesus as the head. And Jesus' heart that is a part of our heart as we trust in Him more fully. So that we don't have Him just as a head, but that we're in His life as He wants to be in our lives. Thanks be to God for the faithful. Thanks be to God for Jesus, who died our sins, who rose for our sake, and who gives us life as we live in Him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.